Today is Trinity Sunday, <clears throat> and uh, so unlike the rest of the church calendar, uh, we, it, instead of a, an event in the life of Christ that we are commemorating, we are doing pure theology today. So I'm going to begin with this, one of my favorite stories of when I went to General Synod. I believe it was 98, uh, so we were at the National Anglican Gathering, and when a woman, rich in years and life experience, got up to the microphone, she started her speech by saying, talking theology is the most fun you can have with your clothes on. <laughs> and I said, I like you, girlfriend. I'm listening to what you're going to say next. So we're going to have the most fun we can have this morning by talking Trinity, Trinitarian theology. The next story I'm going to give you before we get into the, the, the philosophy of the thing is a dear friend of mine who's a theological professor who is invited by a local congregation to deliver a program or a course. We know you're here. Can you like do a course for us, they said. And he said, well, sure, I'd be happy to do that. What would the, what's the subject? What would you like me to talk about? And they said, God. <laughs> okay. Um, what, what do you mean? No, just God. We, we want to talk about God. Okay. What's the name of your church? Trinity. Oh. And he said, let's start there. So, Trinity is how we start talking about God in the Christian world. This is our language for God. And yes, it's arcane. Yes, it's hard to get at. It is, it is very high theology. It is confusing. And even after wrestling with it for my entire adult life, I still feel inadequate to the task. But I'm who you've got. So here we go. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Three persons, one substance, co-eternal, uncreated, ineffable. All that is going to make sense to you by the time we're done today. So, <laughs> it's not that funny. So let's start, let's start with what it's about. Now, I have always struggled with the mechanics. How does that work? How can you be three and one? What does substance mean? What do persons mean? What does homoousios mean? All of the technical stuff gets very, very arcane, and I still don't get it. But what I do know is why it matters. And so what I'm going to present to you today is how the Trinity works and why it's important. Um, that even if we don't get it, we need to get the important bits of it that it's trying to to, uh, to guide our conversation. So the Trinity sort of lays out some guideposts that says within these posts is the Christian conversation about how we understand God. And if you go beyond those markers, you've left our conversation and you're in some other conversation. So we, we start by God the Father. So the Christian conversation involves God the Father, which really um, names that, that sort of cosmic reality that is bigger than time and space and from whom all of creation springs, that, that pretty standard common sense view of God, if you will, the, the notion of the source of everything, the, the, the reason for everything, that's, that's God the Father. And the, the language that we use around God the Father is that language of, of, of source and creation and generativity and, and ground of being and, you know, the reason that all things came to be and all things continue to exist. That's, that's God the Father, the creator, the one that holds it all together and, and, and brings it all to life. And the important thing about that is the transcendence of God. So when we talk about God the Father, we are talking about something, some reality that is bigger than space and time, 
some reality that is bigger than our minds can comprehend. And so, the, if, so we don't want to lose this notion of God the Father who is all-powerful and all-loving. And, uh, and we fall off the rails. We enter another conversation, as, for example, Rabbi Kushner did. You may remember him from the 80s. He wrote a book called Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. And uh, it was a very popular book because that's a tough question, and it's one that we wrestle with emotionally, never mind theologically. And so he tried to write a book to address that problem. And unfortunately, from my point of view, he concluded that God is doing the best he can with what he's got. Um, that's, a, that's, that's a not entirely fair summary, but I think that's the problem with the book, that God can't do any better than this. God is limited in what God can achieve. And that, that, that's a fine answer from a theological perspective, except that it is not a Christian conclusion. That conversation has, has now left the Christian conversation, because whatever we are talking about, we are bounded by this view that God is actually in charge of everything, including pain and suffering and evil. God the Father, God the Creator, God the source of all that there is, is the source of all that there is, full stop. God the Son. The important thing there is Jesus, obviously, the historical person that lived, breathed, walked the earth, died, rose again. That guy. And again, if you, if you, if you separate that historical person from God, you've entered a different conversation about God. Because as Christians, we have been, we've been, our spiritual ancestors have said, whatever you say about God, it has to involve Jesus being God. And there are lots of Christological heresies where people tried to make sense of it, and the church said, nope, 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 Jesus is God, full stop. But Jesus is fully human, also full stop. And so when Jesus was on the cross, he wasn't just going and waiting for this to be over, and pretending to suffer because he can't suffer because he's God. That's a heresy. Nope, nope. Jesus was fully human and fully God. So Jesus wasn't just a good guy, inspired by God. And Jesus wasn't just God play-acting. Jesus was somehow both God and human. And yes, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but that's the guidepost that we've been given in our conversation about God. It can't be somehow separated from Jesus. And again, for the EFM folks out there, Arianism is the favorite heresy in this one, where, where the Arians basically said Jesus is almost God. Jesus was created at the beginning of creation. The first thing that God made was Jesus, the Word, this cosmic entity that, that was in flesh in Jesus' uh, body. Um, and, and so the Word is amazing and is, does almost everything, but in the end was created. And the church said, nope. That's not good enough. There can be no separation between Jesus and God. They are one. And so again, we go, okay, so Jesus is one, God is one, they are one, not separate. Jesus isn't just some higher order creation. So that's another guidepost that we've given for our conversation. And finally, the spirit. The spirit of God is those experiences of God in human history and human experience, where the scriptural story talks about the spirit um, giving military leaders power to have victory over their enemies. It, it inspires the sages to have wise thoughts. The spirit um, can in, it do mighty deeds of power, of healing and reconciliation. This is the work of the spirit in human experience and human history. So the engagement of God in human affairs is the other part that we refuse to let go of in our conversation with God. And here again you have the 19th century and deism, which is a very 
uh, popular view and still goes on to this day, which talks about God as the great cosmic watchmaker, where God sets up the universe, sets out the laws of physics and all the rest of it, and winds it up and then walks away and says, all right, you're on your own. I'm just going to watch from now on. And so that, that cosmic watchmaker idea, again, is not the Christian conversation. Because of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit, God is engaged, God is active, God is part of our being and is connected to us at some ineffable, eternal level that, that the Holy Spirit is in us as the Holy Spirit was in Christ and the Holy Spirit is in God. So all three components involve something essential to our conversation about God. God is eternal and ineffable, God was in human flesh in the person of Jesus. God is engaged in human history and activity through the work of the Spirit. One more heresy and then we're done. Uh, and, and all these heresies are very attractive and have a certain logic to them. So I, you know, I, I, I name them, but if you really start wrestling with them, you'll probably go through a phase where you say, yep, I guess, I guess I'm an Arian today, uh, because they do have a certain attraction to them. I, that's the cell phone heresy, but we're going to get to that another day. Uh, so the, the, last, the last heresy that I'm going to talk about is the, the business of how God is one, but God is not really three. Um, because we, we have these three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then the question is, how does that work? How can we say we're monotheists? We, are, we believe in one God, single, that's it, one God, and yet we have these three persons that we talk about, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And there have been ways that the church has been struggling with how to hold the oneness and the threeness of God in one, uh, in, in one unity. And, and the, the favorite heresy there that we continue to fall into from time to time is called modalism where we believe that God is one, but God appears to us in different presentations. So God kind of puts on different clothes, and so we see the clothes, and so we think that God looks like this, and then in another context, God might look like that. So God comes to us as a Father. God comes to us as the Son. God comes to us as a Holy Spirit. And so you might say that God is the Creator, the Redeemer, and the Sanctifier. Those are three activities of God, three modes of God's engagement, but it's still just one God. And again, the church said, nope, you're still losing something essential from our conversation about God. And that final thing is that the distinction between the three persons of God means that there is love between the persons of God. The Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father, and the Father loves the Spirit, and the Spirit loves the Son, and they're all bound together in love. So love is inherent in God's being. You cannot separate God from love. It's not that God exists and is ineffable and then chooses to love or not love, as the case may be. Love is just inextricably interwoven into God's very being. And for love to exist, there must be relationship. So there is relationship in the nature of God. So we have three persons who exist in loving co-eternality, but love is at the heart of what God is as well. So when we as Christians enter into this relationship with this mysterious reality that we call God, we are given these guideposts in our understanding. God is creator. God is the source of all that there is. God was in Jesus Christ, and so the story of Christ and the encounter with Christ is an encounter with God. 
God is Holy Spirit that we encounter in the depths of ourselves and in our community and in our history, and God is love. And all of that is tied up in this little formula, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So, yay Trinity. I think it's pretty awesome, and it's really a lot of fun with your clothes on, but that's, that's as far as I can get you this morning, and I hope that was helpful to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.